Well, it's Friday, and everybody knows it's Friday. It's time to go inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Avalero. It's been a very, very busy week. And uh, this episode of the Inside EMS podcast is sponsored by Image Trend, the creators of the free mobile app for first responders, Crew Care. It's time to thrive. And with me is our international correspondent, the man with the original accent to the state of Virginia, Rob Lawrence. Rob, thanks for joining us on the show. Good uh, afternoon, Chris. Uh, glad to be back. As you know, everybody that's listening, I am the stunt double uh, as required for one of our two uh, our two hosts. Uh, Kelly isn't here. But Chris, did you actually think we'd get to Friday this week? I got to tell you, man, I mean, 2020 just cannot get any worse, can it? Well, do you know what? I, I'm, I'm conditioned to this now because when I watch your American football, Okay, I worked out now that when you get to the last two minutes of the game on the clock, it takes an hour. This is just the American football election edition. The version of that, that's right. He's, run, he's just running the clock down. That's all that's going on. You know exactly, what I mean? that's clock, what it is. Time, time management, that's what it is. That's a Second great... to go, somebody's going to score. You watch. That's a great... And when you first, you know, because one of the things, you know, talk about that is I've tried to get into watching uh, soccer or football, as you guys call it, over the pond. And uh, one of my best friends growing up was from Chile, and a truly great, actually was the captain of the New York City Police Department team for a long time. And, um, you know, but soccer was something I never got into, but you're a soccer fan, but you're also a big rugby fan. You're posting a lot about rugby. And uh, so just interesting, as you now watch American football, as you came into this country, I mean, what was your what was your take, and, and how did you get into the game? Because you know, certainly understanding the, the the sport and the rules is really what makes the game fun. Uh, I got to imagine, just like with me watching rugby, it was kind of hard to uh, pick it up right away. Well, it's funny you say that. Of course, you know me in person. I'm not a diminutive character, and so I've always been a rugby player because I've been able to maneuver my way around the pitch with the ball. Uh, when I arrived here in the U.S., and it's a great question, actually, because my kids were in high school. They had the whole U.S. high school experience, and so I became a great f- uh, fan and friend of the Friday Night Lights, and my neighbor... Paul Maguire, not that he ever listens to this show, but uh, took me under his wing every Friday and he sat behind me and explained all the rules, all the nuances, answered my stupid questions. Who are those two guys over there with the piece of chain and those two sticks? Why are they throwing their handkerchiefs on the field? All those things he explained. And I, I, I now, after 12 years, really appreciate the strategy of the game, hence understanding why you know we're taking uh, three days to run down the last two minutes. Really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's good. I mean, it's it's interesting to see how people ingratiate into the sports. But, you know, Rob, you talked about the election, and, you know, we try not to be political on the show, but, you know, we, I do want to just touch on the process of the election, you know, because there's been a lot of talk about the ballots, and, 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 and I really just want to kind of, uh, you know, just kind of talk about the overview of what this means to EMS and really uh, understanding about the process. I got to tell you, I, I wasn't really upset about the way the ballots were counted. You know, I mean, I think that we had election day. I think that uh, people got out and vote. We had almost 100 million mail-in votes, uh, mail-in ballots. And I got to think, you don't count 100 million ballots in four hours. It's uh, impossible, and of course, one of the one of the lessons identified out of this is they've now got four years to work out how to make it, let's say, a little bit slicker. So that's definitely on the to do list. 
I think it is. You know, I mean, in, in the, in, nobody thought that the election, everybody knew it was coming, but nobody knew there was going to be a pandemic as well. And is this, you know, we talk about this in the sense of the pandemic is changing the new normal. You know, we think about it in the sense of community paramedicine. We've been doing a lot of work virtually. And now as we move forward, do we need to, when we're doing these home visits, do we need to go to somebody's house four times a month, once a week for, you know, every week? Or can we now go twice a month and now do two virtual visits? But the, 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 the question I'm getting to with this is, is the new normal going to be mail-in ballots? I, I suspect you may be right. I, I think there'll be a number of uh, media opportunities uh, to cast your vote, providing, of course, they get uh, those those uh, counter cyber security measures right. Of course, because what we haven't had yet is the which country interfered with our election. I'm sure that story is only just around the corner. And that's always going to be one to deal. But um, election uh, over. But, uh, you know, Rob, I do want to talk to you because you are a very, uh, how do I say this? You know, you are one of my favorite characters and uh, certainly a great EMS leader, uh, a great speaker. If you people have not heard you uh, uh, talk and see your classes, um, I love your articles. Uh, it's very, they're very, very entertaining, super, super knowledgeable. But recently you did the closing keynote at the AAA conference, and, and you have, you know, kind of like Kelly, right? I mean, Kelly has, you know, these colloquialisms, and he's got these sayings, and he's got these, you know, these mantras that he goes by. You're, you're no different, a little bit more eloquent. So, you know, last year, you kind of talked about the 10 elephants, 10 elephants in the room, and now you're kind of revisiting them this year, and I just want to touch on some of them and, and get people to hear your uh, you know, your thoughts on these things. And, and the first one, of course, is uh, what happens if you call 911 and nobody shows up? It's, it's deja vu because a year ago I stood in front of uh, people, Chris, people. That was fantastic. Do you remember those uh, those those hazy days, right, uh, in the room? And I identified my, my 10 elephants in the room. And this time last year we were concerned about the fact that uh, volunteer rescue squads, rural areas, were losing the ability to respond because they were losing people, they were losing income. And and my prediction was we had to do something about it. Well, that one wasn't a success in terms of we have to do something about it because COVID really affected us in terms of, A, the pandemic striking people down, which diminished our ability to respond, uh, the income that's, that's attached to that. And actually, we're starting to see uh, rural rescue squads, volunteer rescue squads closing uh, just in California this week. Week, I had notification that one of our, you know, older services was shutting down because they just didn't have the financial wherewithal to carry on. So that's still here, and I suspect it's not going away. Particularly if we start to look at the billion-dollar uh, deficit budget shortfalls that some of these uh, these all, these cities are now having. You know, it's really interesting because you know we we've known for a long time that uh, you know the the volunteer services are really the a big foundation to the EMS career field. And, you know, we're starting to see that not only the, you know, the, the volunteer services are having problems, but even the paid services are having problems. When we think about this from a reimbursement model, we're starting, I, I asked the question the other day, because uh, somebody was telling me that they were running all night. I said, are, is the volume back up now? Are people going to the hospital for the silly things? And their answer was yes. 
I don't know if that's around the United States that that's happening or if it's locally that's happened, but people have lost a lot of money because of the decrease in call volume, and I don't know if they're ever going to be able to recoup, Rob. Well, first of all, it's a chance to actually give a plug to the guys at Nemesis TAC because they they maintain a EMS by the numbers weekly report, which is publicly available. And one of those charts shows the fact that the 911 response level is is dipping to an all-time low. So, of course, if we're not responding, then under the current model, we're not making money. And so that's a challenge right now. And and that also kind of segues quite nicely into what my second point was, which was show me the money. This time last year, I said that we have to be more uh, aware that this is a business, like it or not. We have to have that business acumen. And in the past, people have kind of gone, yeah, but we we do you know emergency response and clinical stuff. Well, the problem is that if we don't take the money in, we can't pay the money out. And uh, interestingly, in the EMS1 survey that uh, I think you had carry on uh, a while ago to talk about, that the fact people are more business savvy now and more you know, aware of the fact that we have to generate income uh, than ever before. And so I think that that one, you know, we are sitting up and taking notice because, you know, not only private ambulance services that gain uh, reimbursement through transporting, but also the public sector, because they work at the pleasure of the mayor for the city council, and that city has a whopping deficit, and therefore belts have got to be tightened. So money is certainly too tight to mention right now. And I think that that's one of the great things that go with uh, this, this, you know, uh, EMS as a business, like it or not, especially now as we're transitioning into this community paramedicine space. So when we think about the business acumen we need, you know, we're, we're great at, you know, uh, demand analysis and we're great at uh, deployment plans and we're great at, you know, trying to, you know, work the checkbook so we can afford the things that we need to. But now when we start to think about the billions and billions of dollars that are available through commercial payers and now talking about talking to third party administrators and how are we now going to get our hands on this money and what does PMPM mean and how do we you know, take this amount of money for services and then worry about getting a chunk of the, the, the cost share and the savings on the back end. You know, it seems that we've not had that education as EMS leaders, and it's really kind of stymieing. You know, people will say all the time, uh, no, I can't start a community paramedicine program because nobody's paying for it. Well, when you have that business acumen, you're not waiting for the dependency of CMS to come in and give you the trinkets of money that they're going to, it's probably going to be beads and blankets more than it's going to be a decent amount of money. And then, uh, but we need to be able to go after the money that's out there, but we've got to have the knowledge on how to make that happen. And I think, you know, EMS is a business, like it or not. Yep, you're right. And, uh, you know, to, to quote uh, Lord Zavadsky of uh, Fort Worth, you know, we have to also develop the value proposition to show people that we can actually do this properly, professionally, and with good results. He certainly is the master Jedi of, he should start his own MBA program for EMS leaders or anybody that wants to take it. So, you know, Matt's, Rob, business, Matt's business administration. There we go. Right. MS for MedStar. So um, <laughs> one of the other things, Rob, that we've talked about for a long time, and I got to tell you, I wasn't a paramedic that uh, utilized the resource of lights and sirens. It was my job to manage the patient in the back of the ambulance as best that I could. You know, if there was something that I couldn't do in the back of the ambulance that was going to benefit the patient, 
that's when I asked my partner to drive lights and sirens to the uh, hospital. But one of your elephants in the room was there's no real clinical sense for lights and sirens use, um, whether it's in transport or whether it's in response. Absolutely right. And uh, this is kind of one of those, it's, it's a quality conundrum, first of all. But, you know, lights and sirens are what I call the rookie Bobby rule, right? You know, if you're not first, you're last. Those people that want to measure us for the service we deliver are interested in the response time standard without thinking about the clinical outcome. You know, if we arrive in eight minutes, 59 seconds and the patient dies, that's a success. If we arrive in nine minutes and one second and the patient lives, that's a failure. That's totally screwed up. And so we have to go back to thinking about what is the clinical worth in risking ourselves and pedestrians and other users uh, in getting to them. And uh, I was actually uh, hosting a, a podcast, a webinar, sorry, only yesterday with Jeff Jarvis. And uh, Jeff Jarvis is a fantastic speaker. He makes an elegant point uh, about red lights and sirens. He did a paper with uh, other, other hang on. he did a paper with other sages such as uh, Mike Tegman and elegantly illustrates that particular point and so we need to think about how we apply and when we apply and when we turn them on it's not always that we need to send somebody red lights and sirens because it's more of a risk you just go back through ems1 any of the trade magazines there seems to be an uptick in vehicle contacts right now now it could be one of many things where they're racing to the scene or indeed and probably they're just tired and if you're tired then you know you're not paying attention. I mean, there's many, many reasons that we just need to, you know, slow down appropriately and just be careful. You know, I think one of the things that we don't do well enough when it comes to lights and sirens is the ability to use the first responders, right? There, there's a lot of times for life threats or potential life threats that we get first responders whose average time, you know, the response to a scene is, you know, three minutes, four minutes, and they're on scene. And the purpose of having a transport unit in eight minutes and 50, 59 seconds isn't really necessary because we're starting to see a higher degree of certification in those fire first responders. And they can manage the scene until we get there. Do we need to get there in 15 minutes? Well, no, but I think we need to be able to get there safely. So I think that's a great point, Rob. But let's go ahead and take our mid-show break. And I want to talk about Crew Care. It's a free mobile app designed for first responders. The information is completely anonymous and it gives you insights into stress loads that contribute to mental well-being and resources to help, all while anonymously contributing to the industry research. Crew Care was created by ImageTrend, a software solutions company dedicated to the emergency response industry. ImageTrend has made the Crew Care app available for free download from your App Store or Google Play or visit crewcarelife.com to learn more. It's not just about being resilient, it's about thriving with crew care from Image Trend. You know, Rob, so your next, I, I can't wait to hear this, and I think that this is going to be a good one, this elephant in the room is, degree or no degree? That is the question. That was exactly as I posed it a year ago, and uh, you know, you and I have done many conferences where there have been international attendees. Uh, we go back and forth into between us in the states and us in different disciplines of ems to talk about whether we have a degree or no degree and the australians the norwegians the brits the kiwis all look at us like we've got two heads because they all have four-year degree programs you know and in their countries 
you know, paramedics don't become registered nurses. Actually, registered nurses become paramedics. Uh, and it's interesting. But the, 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 the change this year, of course, is that doesn't matter so much now for the moment, because the real issue is how do we train people just to be paramedics or just to be EMTs? We're now in a virtual world. We have learning management systems. Um, we have the ability to project some, you know, some top quality video material, but we're not seeing them for real with hands on. Now we're allowed to do it. And next year we'll be allowed to do it, you know, virtually, but you know, we've got to make sure that's working safely and to get the the medic or the provider to a level in which they can become that kind of independent practitioner. So I'm going to step down from the degree discussion for the minute, Chris, because I just want to make sure that we're actually trained to do the job. I think that one of the things that we do as EMS leaders is we don't put the emphasis on our workforce to give them the skills that they need to be successful. You know, they come to us with a set of skills and they come to us with a set of knowledge. We invite them into our organizations to help us be successful. And then we forget about them until we need to give them some type of disciplinary action. We really need to be able to invest in the people who come into the organization. Moreover, we need to be able to invest in the leaders who are guiding those people that we need to invest in the organization. So when we talk about degree or no degree, I'm with you on the step back because we don't do a good job of not only training, and we think about this from the organizational socialization component of the culture development, but we also now need to think about it in the sense of just giving our people the skills, the confidence, the knowledge they need to keep them trained to do the best job possible. If we just let them come in with their knowledge and we don't grow them to the next level, our organization isn't growing to the next level. So I so love now, that. Now, now you got me going off on, on a tangent, and, and I'm going to continue your rant, if I may be, because you know I'm, I'm a believer in what's known as the Peter Principle. Okay, And the Peter Principle is where you promote, uh, promote someone to a level of incompetence. And we do that a lot to our supervisors. Now, supervisors, don't go mad from what I've just said. What I mean is that we don't prepare you to do the job and so when you get the job you're going from a great clinician to a junior leader we don't actually help you through that transition and of course this is your life and your business chris and i know that you're gonna if i could see you on this podcast you're probably nodding like fury right now but we have to do a better job of transitioning people from being the great clinician which is sometimes how we pick somebody great clinician is going to be a great supervisor sometimes they're not exclusive and so we have to work harder at doing that um right now in in pandemic land you know we also really have to put the emphasis on leadership on servant leadership on this great british thing called pastoral care which is looking after your flock uh and making sure that they come to work in in good order they go home in good order and these days that's a challenging thing to achieve very true okay your next um elephant in the room is alphabet (laughs) soup organizations moving in different directions yep i'll take state associations for five please chris and so yeah again a year ago i have this fantastic slide of every emt ems fire-based uh 
physician-based level of associations and it's eye-watering the amount of people that have an eye on what we're up to now that's good in a good way because of course everybody's concerned about what we're doing the problem is it's so disparate and so dispersed that when we when we try and get something done then the chances are somebody has a differing view we're not in step with each other and that becomes problematic what covid has done and covid of course as i've said before is a great disruptor and what COVID has done is forced some of the larger end associations to come together to agree on what they disagree on, put it to one side, and to move forward. And so people like the American Ambulance Association, NAMT, IFC, have been in step moving forward on the legislative agenda, particularly to make sure that we are at least thought about, if not legislated for, uh, during the pandemic. So you know, the alphabet soup uh, is... Now, you know, these ingredients have come together and it's a fine broth, Chris. It's uh, it's working really well. And I hope this continues. Yeah, that was going to be my follow up question to you, Rob. Do you think it's going to be sustainable? It seems that EMS comes together when they need to come together to make the crisis work, right, to make the pandemic work, to make the disaster work. But then once the disaster is over, once the, you know, once the crisis is over, it seems that we splinter in silo again. I mean, what is it going to take for us to continue along the path of being partners, you know, of being collaborative, of being uh, all on the same page for the greater good of the organization? There are so many organizations out there with different focuses, but the different focuses are not bringing the whole career field forward. It's just bringing pockets of the career field forward. Well, as you know, I went to the same school as Winston Churchill, so I'm going to quote him, right? And, of course, he said this isn't the beginning of the end. This is simply the end of the beginning. We've got a long way to go yet. We've got, some no we've got many more dark and stormy nights to go before we get out of this. And so we're going to continue to work together, and I sincerely hope that we continue to do that beyond that. But in the meantime, let's focus on the challenge ahead, which is making sure that we are collectively looking after our people, be that from a leadership on the ground perspective but also from a very high level on the hill in the state house in front of the local board of supervisors it's many levels it's not just the guys that you know run up and down uh, capitol hill all day but actually stick together and act as one and uh, the, the final point in my presentation actually chris was to say that uh, you know people said we need to be acting like the united nations right and so you know acting under one flag etc i disagreed with that because I, I maintain we need to be acting like NATO, where an attack on one is an attack on all. And so, therefore, you know, this is more of a NATO-esque, uh, you know, operation. Now, of course, the current president, you know, thinks the other nations should pay more, but we'll put that to one side for the minute. But the fact is that, you know, this is NATO. An attack on one is an attack on all. And actually, we're fighting a great uh, offensive operation right now in that respect. I think that is great stuff, and I think that's a great point to end on. But before we do that... Rob, you do have a personal note that you want to talk about, and I'm just going to kick it to you to pay a little respects for a fallen uh, comrade. Yes, indeed. Uh, so this last week, Chris, we have lost another provider to COVID-19. Uh, that takes us to, you know, near 50 EMS only 
providers. But uh, I, I would like to take a moment to pause and reflect on the life of Sean Matthews uh, from, from LifeNet EMS in uh, of Texarkana uh, on the Arkansas-Texas uh, border. He sadly passed with COVID complications. That takes the toll to nearly 50 EMS-only providers. Of course, public safety, there are many, many more. Um, once again, it's one person too many. Uh, Sean also is very well known to many people in the American Ambulance Association because every year we have our Star of Life uh, ceremony. And only last year, Sean was up with us in D.C. as one of our Stars of Life. So not only is he a name, but he's also a face that many of us remember and it's a very, very sad day. Chris, I'm going to finish, though, by channeling my inner Kelly, because I've always wanted to say that. That's what we think. We'd love to hear what you think. And from me and from my co-host, Chris Sevalero, thanks very much and see you later. Hey, this is Rob Lawrence, host of the EMS One Stop podcast. If you're listening on the SoundCloud, just hang on for one second, because I'm coming along with the next episode of whatever my topic is this week. Bye for now.